Let's turn now to the chapter we read in John's Gospel in chapter 9. Last night we were reading Isaiah chapter 9 and about the King, Jesus. What did we read about him? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name will be called. So what's King Jesus like? What's his ministry going to be? Here are the titles given to him. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is what the King of Israel was meant to be like. He was always meant to be a wonderful counsellor, reminding people of the might and power of God, being an everlasting Father who cared for his people, and Prince of Peace, ensuring that all the people would have security and shalom. That's what the kings of Israel were to be like. But they weren't like that. And here Isaiah is being told to tell them there will be a king who will be a wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting father, and prince of peace. There will be no king like this king. And there's a wonderful description of Jesus as a teacher, as one who has mighty power to change lives, as one who cares and loves and has compassion, and as one who leads and keeps his people in perfect peace. Wonderful counsellor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And what we were doing is looking at John chapter 9 and the incident of the man born blind and just seeing what's it like when King Jesus passes by and comes into the presence of the situation of the man born blind. What's it like to see the wonderful counsellor in action? What kind of teaching does he give? That's what we looked at last night in the opening verses of John chapter 9. Now we're asking this morning, what's it like when King Jesus comes and shows the might of God in action? The King who is mighty God. It's an interesting thing when the disciples saw the man Remember, they only saw him because Jesus saw him first. That's the way it said, as he passed by, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him. So Jesus obviously came, saw the man, stood looking at him. They then were drawn to look at him and said, he's blind. I wonder why he's blind. Was it his own sin or his parents' sin? Now, that's not why Jesus looked at him. But when they began to look at him because Jesus was looking at him, that's the discussion they wanted to have. Why is he blind? Whose sin was it? His own or his parents' sin? 
Jesus says it's not to do with sin. That man is blind so that God's glory will be displayed as his eyes are opened. That's why this has happened to him. Jesus deflects them away from the question of the origin of sin or the origin of suffering. And he says, this man is blind today so that the works of God will be displayed in him. Clearly, the disciples hadn't been expecting anything marvelous. A discussion, a discussion on the way past, maybe 10, 15 minutes, discussing, I wonder... The theology of all this, where did it all come about? Why is he blind? That's probably all they expected. And the blind man, remember he's sitting there listening to it all and they're speaking the same language. You can imagine the blind man sitting there thinking, what's going on here? And I'm sure many disabled people feel they're being treated like little children and nobody really takes him seriously and we can talk in the presence of a blind man as if he doesn't have ears to hear. But this blind man has ears to hear. But we know later on Jesus speaks and he does what Jesus says. He's got ears wide open and he's listening to all of this. And I wonder if he was intrigued by what Jesus said. It's not that this man sinned He would have known he was a sinner. Or his parents, he would have known that his parents were sinners. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. And I wonder if he thought to himself, what does that mean? What does that mean for me today? The works of God are going to be displayed in me. I'm sure when that man woke up that morning, he had no idea at all That his eyes were going to be opened. It's just going to be another day. Another day in the dark. Another day sitting down because he wouldn't be safe standing up. Another day sitting while people passed by as they did. Just another day and he probably expected nothing. But see when Jesus saw him. Jesus saw an opportunity To change that man's life. Physically and spiritually. When he stopped and looked at that man. Already things were beginning to change. And Jesus was going to show the might of God at work in this man's life through himself. He's going to bring the might of God into a human life. In the end of the day, that's what Jesus did then, and he does it to every single person who is converted. They are changed by the might of God, the power of God at work through Jesus. When we see the might of God, we are expected to see the greatness of God, the power of God. Tonight, we'll be looking at the goodness of God and the love of God, the everlasting Father. 
That's who Jesus is. But today and this morning, let's look at the greatness and the power and the might of God. You need to see this. You mustn't be allowed to forget the might and the power of God in King Jesus. This mighty God, how is he seen? Where do you see the might of God at work in this narrative? Well, the first thing is God sent his son. It's a simple thing to say, isn't it? Simple thing to say. Remember in Isaiah, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. There's a birth and there's a gift and a son arrives. A king is born. But how did that happen? We know in the New Testament we're actually talking about God the Son who existed from all eternity as part of the triune God that God the Son becomes in addition to being God a human being and he's born of Mary. And let me tell you that's not an act of weakness. That's an act of colossal divine power. It took the almighty power of God for the incarnation to take place. For Jesus to become a human being in the womb of his mother Mary took the might and power of God. God is the one who sent him, who commissioned him to go. And there he is in eternity, in the presence of his father, No human body, no reasonable soul. He is perfect, pure, holy spirit. And the Father commissions him to enter into human history as a child of Mary. And he does it. And he prepares a body for him. He prepares a body for him. The conception of Jesus in the womb of Mary is a mighty miracle of God himself. It couldn't have happened without the might of God. So much of this will be trivialized in the next four or five weeks. But you and I know at the heart of the Christmas story is the might of And the power of God sending Jesus and preparing a body for him. He comes. And Jesus, especially in chapter 7, 8, 9 and 10 onwards, he speaks of himself as the one who has been sent by God. I have been sent by God. The Son has been sent by the Father. That's true. He is sent by God. That's a mighty act of God. But the mighty act of God is seen here primarily in that the eyes of the blind man are opened. Jesus said, as long as I am in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground, made mud with saliva. He anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, 
Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. There's a whole play on words going on here. Jesus could, if he had wished, he could have just spoken the words, be healed, and the man's eyes would have opened instantly. He might even have willed it to happen without speaking a word, and his eyes would have opened instantly. But this man, two things happened which were very strange. First of all, Jesus makes mud from saliva and he puts the clay on top of his eyes. So he feels the hand of Jesus as if it were sealing his blindness. As if to remind the man, yes, it was indeed God's plan that you be blind. And as he felt the clay being patched over his eyes, that's what he would undoubtedly have thought. It's no accident that I'm blind. It was the will of God that I'm blind. And Jesus puts the clay upon him. And then he says to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam. This man would have had to walk something like between a third of a mile and half a mile from where he was to go to the pool of Silo. He'd have had to go down something like 350 feet in addition to the distance. Strange, isn't it? That Jesus would ask him to go so far so deep in order to be washed in the pool of Silo. Jesus sends him to the pool of Silo. So Jesus, who was sent into the world, is now sending the blind man to the pool of Silo. Jesus, who was sent from the height of heaven to the depths of the womb, into this world is now sending the blind man on probably the longest journey he has ever done and certainly with clay on his eyes it might have looked rather strange he was sent by Jesus who was sent and even the pole of Siloam you'll see that John says which means sent the river Gihon on the outside of Jerusalem is the main source of water for the inhabitants of Jerusalem. But how does the water get from the river into the city? A very bright king, Hezekiah, made a long S-shaped tunnel in order to bring the water from the river into the middle of the city. And it was called Siloam because the waters were sent from the river Gihon outside the city into the city so that the people could be refreshed on a daily basis and especially in a time of war 
when they'd be under siege. There would always be a river from which they could be refreshed. Psalm 46 comes to mind. So here this Jesus, who's sent by the mighty God, is sent by the mighty Jesus in the name of God to the pool of Siloam, which is itself a provision for the people of God when the waters were sent from the river into the city. So much sending going on here. And you know when the man would eventually reach the pool of Siloam, I'm sure he would say to himself, I'm here, why am I here? I'm here because I was sent. And who sent me? Well, I I just heard Jesus say, we must work the works of him who sent me. So somebody sent Jesus, God, and Jesus sent me to the pool. And this pool, the word means something like sent, like the waters of Shiloh in, in Isaiah 7. He said, I'm here because I'm sent. What's going to happen? And I'm sure that when he then went down into the pool and just took the waters and washed the clay of his eyes, he says, I'm doing this because I was sent. What's going to happen? And then you see the might of God in action. He opens his eyes. A man who had been blind from birth. And he can see. Never in the history of the world has this happened. There have been people who were made blind. And then were allowed to see. But never has anybody been blind from birth. And then brought to see. This is a first. And this is magnificent. This is the mighty God, the King in action. How beautiful. When he opened his eyes and he could see the light, he could recall what Jesus said. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And though he may not have understood it all, he would have thought, this is Jesus' doing. I wouldn't be here had he not sent me. And I wouldn't be here had God not sent him. And there wouldn't be a pool unless the waters of healing had been sent into the city from outside at God's command. Eyes are opened. The might of God in action. But the might of God in action in an even greater way in this man's life is that he became a believer. He became a man of faith. He became a man of faith. I don't know what state he was in spiritually at the beginning of the day. But I know he was not a believer in King Jesus. 
I know that by the end of the day, he is a believer in the King, who is the wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. And of course, this kind of faith, in his experience, it grew in a day. It grew in a day. When he was asked, first of all, you see, how did he come to be able to see? In verse 11, he says, The man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. I went and washed and received my sight. The man. He's just a man. An unusual man, I grant you that. A man whose voice I listened to and did what he told me. I walked a third to half a mile. I went down all these feet. I went down to the pool. But he's a man. He's a man. But then things change again. And he becomes a prophet. A prophet. In verse 17, they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, he said, he's a prophet. So now he believes that he's not just a human being, not an ordinary human being. This is somebody who has been sent by God to speak in the name of God. He's a prophet. He has brought a message from God to me, to the world. He's a prophet. Doesn't even stop there. Doesn't even stop there. He actually then comes to see him as one sent from God to do the will of God. Sent from God to do the will of God. It's an amazing thing, says the man. In verse 30, you do not know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God has not listened to sinners, but if anyone is a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. So here's not just a man, not just a prophet, he's somebody who's doing the will of God. More than that, he actually believes that God listens to this man. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone's a worshipper of God and does his will, God listens to him. This man's faith is growing. From thinking Jesus to be just a man, now he's a prophet doing the will of God, and he speaks to God, and God listens to him. I mean, See the transformation that is happening in this man's mind. That Jesus, the king, is growing in his heart. He's assuming magnificent proportions. It's as if Jesus begins as a a voice, a commander, and then he becomes someone, someone special, someone with a message from God, someone who does the will of God, and somebody who speaks to God on his behalf. 
This man is growing in faith. Of course, he ended up being thrown out of the temple. We'll look at that later on tonight. In verse 35, though, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said to him, he asked the most strange question. Would you have asked this blind man, newly healed, with very little understanding, would you have asked him, do you believe in the Son of Man? The Son of Man is this figure that you find in Daniel chapter 7. It's an intriguing figure. He's one who comes from God and one who returns to God. To the Ancient of Days, he comes from him, he returns to him. And he seems to represent a group of people called the Suffering Saints of the Most High. He comes for them. He returns to God on their behalf. And he rules over the universe for their sake. So that their suffering will be over. And Jesus says to this man, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And isn't it lovely The man doesn't put on a show. He says, who is he? Who is he, sir? Who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him. Your eyes have been opened so you could see me. You have seen him and it is he who is speaking to you. You heard me speaking to you before. Now you're seeing me as well as hearing me. I am the Son of Man. What did the blind man now seeing do? Did he say, right, let's just take some time here. Let's take some time out. Let's, Let's take time to think about this. Let's just go away and let me figure this out a wee bit. No. He said, in absolute, magnificent response, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. He's no longer just a man or a prophet or a doer of God's will or one who speaks to God on his behalf. Now Jesus claims to be the Son of Man and this man instinctively believes everything Jesus says. His heart is wide open to the word of the king, to the counsellor. He listens. It makes sense. And he says, yes, I believe in the Son of Man. I believe in you. And he went down on his knees and worshipped him. Surely that's faith. It took some time to grow, but it's faith. It was quiet faith. Then confessed faith. Even when others were calling him a sinner, others were despising him, 
Others were saying, don't believe in Jesus. Give glory to God. Don't, don't go down the Jesus route. This man seems to be hearing another drumbeat. There's another sound that he hears. There's a voice that is speaking in his heart. And he knows, he absolutely knows Jesus is true, is real. He is the mighty one of God. He's the son of man. It makes such sense to him that he goes on his knees and worships. Is that a greater miracle than having your physical eyes opened? Is it not an even greater miracle when spiritually you are enlightened and you see the world in a totally different way and you see Jesus at the very centre of God's dealings with you? It all makes perfect sense. There's the might of God in action. The might of God. Are you a Christian today? Is your faith any less than the faith of this man who was blind but now sees? Long ago I heard Robert McGee, I think his name was. He was the Church of Scotland minister in Falkirk. And he was speaking at the Strathpeffer Convention, as it was called then, on the one things. And this was one of the texts that he had. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. I had just become a Christian then. And I had been blind. Oh, I had known lots about Jesus. I had known loads about Jesus. But I hadn't bowed the knee. I had a lot of knowledge up here. I could maybe have run circles around people in theological discussion. Loads of knowledge. But it hadn't changed my heart. He hadn't become the centre of my life. My knee did not bow to the king. But then things changed in Invergordon. I bowed the knee. He sought me. He found me. I thought I found him. I did. But he had found me. And it all made perfect sense. I can see the might of God in my experience. Can you see the might of God in your experience? Does Jesus make sense to you? Does Jesus make sense to you? Does his word make sense to you? Do his commands make sense to you? Are his promises precious to you? If the answer is yes, a miracle has happened. A miracle has happened because... You were not born that way. God had to change you. 
The mighty one himself, the king, had to change your heart. A heart of stone. So do we become a heart of flesh, ready to absorb every word that God would bring to you. And it makes sense. You were washed by the word of the Lord. Now you see, and you see as somebody who has been washed. There's a purity that comes with the seeing. Isn't it strange? You'd think the two things would never go together. That you'd be seeing the most holy one ever. And yet know that you are pure in his presence. How? How could these eyes, the discussion was, is the man a sinner? Of course he is. But now he sees the Son of Man. He sees Jesus. And he bows, washed, clean, forgiven. Listen, if that's your story, there's only one place where you should be, and that's at the Lord's table. It's not possible to honour the God who opened your eyes through his Son, mighty God. It's not possible to honour him and keep that face silent. This blind man in one day had his life changed and I think he would have put his head to sleep that night not only amazed that he could see, but that he could worship the mighty God in Jesus. What a wonderful, wonderful privilege. You need the might of God at the beginning of your Christian life. You need the might of the King throughout your Christian life. You need the might of the king as you go through the valley of the shadow of death. And you need the might of God on the morning of the resurrection. And the mighty God, the king, Jesus, will never fail you, ever. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would Bring home to us the the beauty of your own power and might. Oh, you're a wonderful counsellor. You're a mighty God. Oh, what a king you have provided for us. You put the government on the shoulders of someone who is truly a great teacher and who has wonderful, mighty power. Touch us, we pray. Oh, draw near, Lord, to everyone, to our families, to our young ones. Draw near, Lord, and change, just like you did the blind man. May 
they go as those who are sent by the sent one to Jesus who was sent. We ask it in his name. Amen. Let's close.